invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, I'll begin reading at verse 26 to the end of the chapter, verses 31 to 39 will be my sermon text for this evening. Let us now hear God's word. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. That's by the reading of God's holy word. May it his blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul asks several rhetorical questions, but these rhetorical questions begin with a question that asks, what then shall we say to these things? Verse 31, what things is he talking about? Is he talking about the things that he just said in chapter 8, verses 26 to 30, or the whole chapter, chapter 8? Or is he referring to those things that he's been speaking of during the whole course of the letter to the Romans? From chapter 1 to verse 8. What then shall we say to these things, he writes? I believe he's speaking more than just the immediate context before uh, our sermon text. He's speaking to 
the doctrine that he set forth in the previous chapters. The outline that he sets forth. That we are all sinners. And we need salvation. And that salvation, that deliverance comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ alone. You see, the Apostle Paul begins this letter showing forth that every human being is a sinner, unrighteous before God. That we are all lawbreakers, that we have broken God's law, that the Jews who have received the law and the covenants broke God's law that was given to them. The Gentiles who have the law of God written upon their hearts have broken God's law written upon their hearts. All have sinned. All are sinners, says Paul. There is none righteous, no, not one. And so he makes it very clear, very clear that we are sinners and unrighteous before God. But he goes on to talk about salvation. He talks about sin and he talks about salvation that is found solely in Christ. Christ and his righteousness The apostle writes in chapter 6, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, by faith alone in Christ alone, we are made right before our Father, made right before God. And in Christ, we are no longer found to be in the flesh, but in Christ. We are no longer in the sinful flesh, but in the Spirit. And anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So if you are in the flesh, still guilty before God, still haven't placed your faith in Christ, you do not have the Spirit of Christ in you and you are still in the flesh. But he says if you have Christ, if Christ is in you, if the Spirit of God is in you, then you belong to Him. You are so united to Him. That you are His and He is yours. And Romans 8 talks about the life in the Spirit. The beautiful life in the Spirit. The blessed benefits of having the Spirit of God in us. That we are heirs with Christ. Debtors to God and not to the flesh. That because of the spirit of adoption, we cry out, Abba, Father. And then he goes on to talk about the future glory. Those of us who have Christ and we have the spirit of God, there's a future glory that awaits us. Oh, what shall we say to these things? What shall we say to the things, these beautiful things that God has done for his people in Christ? We are sinners, but He has provided salvation full and free in the Savior, Jesus. And He has provided the Spirit of the living God to indwell in us, that Spirit of adoption, so that we are called children of God. And we cry out, Abba, Father, oh, what shall we say to these things? What shall we say to these things? At verse 28 of chapter 8, look with me in your Bible. These blessed verses. 
And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We call this the chain of salvation, the ordo salutis. God's work of salvation from beginning to end is all of God. He predestined you, chose you, called you by grace. And those whom he called, he justified, he made right before him. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And we'll glorify in the last day. What shall we say to these things, to these beautiful realities, these beautiful truths concerning who you are and your identity in Jesus Christ? And he says here, if God is for us, who can be against us? Three points, three points that are just taken right out of the text of Scripture. Right out of the text. Answering these rhetorical questions. First, if God is for us, who can be against us? No one can be against us. What shall we say to these things? If God has done these things, no one can be against us. I chose this text as a Lord's Day One sermon or Lord's Day One message or meditation and reflection. Because this is comfort. If God is for us, who can be against us? Think about the depth and breadth of what he's saying there. Those who stand against God's people do so to their own peril because God is on our side. He is on our side and we can say that we by grace are on God's side because we were once not a people, but now we are called a people. We were once who had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. We were enemies of God, but now we are friends of God, children of God. We are on God's side. And God, by His grace, caused us to change sides. <laughs> you have changed sides, Christian. You were once of the domain of darkness. Now you are transferred into the kingdom of light. God is on your side. And who can stand against you? No one. No one. No one. Christ Jesus, we confess, laid down his life for our sins paid the penalty for our sins and set us free from the tyranny of the devil. Our allegiance is no longer with sin and Satan, but with Christ. Our allegiance is with Him. And if God, who is the creator and judge of all things, now this is where the rubber meets the road, if, if God, who is the creator and judge of all things, is on our side, Think about what that means for you. 
that no created thing or power or force can be set against you or can be against you. If God, who is the creator and judge of all things, is on your side, you're in a very good place. You're in the best possible position to be in. Because Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All the blessings of salvation in Christ. He who did not spare his own son. He did not withhold his own son for his elect, his chosen ones. But gave him up for us all. That is those who are called according to his purpose. You remember the story in Genesis chapter 22 with Abraham and Isaac. God told Abraham to take his son Isaac and to sacrifice him. God tested Abraham, and Abraham, in obedience to God, took his son to the mountain to sacrifice him. And Abraham was about to lift up his knife, and what happened? The angel interceded. And what did the angel say to him? Listen. The angel came from, the Lord, from heaven. The angel of the Lord called to him saying, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld. You have not spared your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. God did not spare his son. And notice what Paul says, that he who did not spare his own son. Abraham, in obedience to God, did not spare his son, but... He was called to hold back the sacrifice because that was a foreshadowing of what God the Father would do when He would send forth His Son and not spare His Son, but have His Son lay down His life and bear the judgment and wrath of God on the Mount of Calvary where God provided salvation full and free for His people. Because of His Son, the Lord is on our side. In order for the Lord to be on our side and no one to be against us, the Son of God, the Son of Man, had to lay down His life for us in order for us, for us to be on God's side. You see where Paul's going with this? To be on God's side, it came at a cost. A great cost. God did not spare His own Son. For our sake and for our salvation, God gave Him up to bear the cross and its shame, to bear the judgment for the sake of His people, bearing the punishment and wrath of Almighty God. Oh, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. 
Do you know this great God who is for us and not against us? This great God who has our back. Even in the affliction, in Psalm 44, even in the afflictions that they were enduring, they knew it came from God's providence, but they didn't give up in faith. They trusted in, in God. They trusted in His covenant promise. Oh, if God gave His own Son, <laughs> oh, how will He give us all things? Those blessed benefits, the benefits of being predestined and called and justified and glorified, the blessings of the Spirit, the blessings of the fruit of the Spirit, all the blessed benefits that come forth, the fruit that comes forth from the Gospel are yours in Christ. Forgiveness of sins, justification, sanctification, glorification. Just as Jesus died and was raised from the dead, so too we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. And therefore no one can be against us we are eternally secure. We have eternal security and comfort because we are God's elect. I want you to take note. I want you to take note of the way Paul speaks of the people of God. He says, for us, for us, God's elect. For Paul, God's elect are the people of faith. When he says for us, he's referring to the elect of God. And we see this in the second rhetorical question. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of, the, of God, who indeed is interceding for us. In other words, no one can bring charges against us and condemn us. No one can be against us. And no one can bring charges against us and condemn us. The first rhetorical question deals with those who bring a charge against God's elect. Those who bring a charge against us before God. Who shall come before God and bring charges that we are sinners and guilty of our sin? Who shall bring a charge to God saying that we are defiled and deserve wrath? That we ought to be held account for our sin and misery. Who can bring a charge against you? You know, one of the profound teachings that came forth from the Re Reformation, that came from Martin Luther, is that we are simultaneously just and sinner. We are simultaneously, simultaneously just and sinner. We are simultaneously justified. We are declared right before God as if we have never sinned in the sight of God because of Christ. But yet while we are here on earth, we still wrestle and battle with sin, but God does not count that sin against us because he sees Christ in us, the hope of glory. You see, in the Catholic teaching and doctrine, you cannot be intrinsically sinful and just at the same time. And so sin must be dealt with not only in this life, but in the life to come in purgatory. But we say no. The blessing of God that we receive from God is that we are justified by faith. Declared right before God by faith. 
And this is a work of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. And he looks upon us as if we have never sinned because of the righteousness of Christ. And so who shall bring charges that you are a sinner before God and guilty? No one. Zechariah chapter 3 records Joshua, the high priest, who is before God, and he's wearing these filthy garments. And Satan, the accuser, is there at his side accusing him before God. And what does God do? It's amazing. God, by his grace, tells the angel, take off his clothes and put on pure vestments, and I will pardon his iniquity. God pardons the sins of Joshua the high priest and puts on pure clothing, pure vestments, and he rebukes Satan. That's what God does when Satan tries to accuse the people of God before him. He rebukes them because you are clothed in Christ. No charges can stick in God's courtroom. There's no grand jury. There's no court case. It's dropped immediately because God rebukes Satan. Revelation chapter 12. Turn with me in your Bible to Revelation chapter 12. Beginning at verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. No charges shall be brought forth to our great God by the accuser. No charge shall stick. Isaiah chapter 50, listen to what Isaiah writes. But the Lord God helps me, therefore I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. You know, I've s several times have met people who are being sued for something unjustly or who have been accused of something and it's gone to court. And the, one of the fascinating features about somebody who is going through that process is the great anxiety and turmoil of the unknown. What's going to happen to me? Will I lose my home? Will I lose my financial 
accounts? Will I lose my business? Will I lose my job? What will happen to me when these charges go before the judge? And there is great stress and anxiety. Now think about the soul. Think about the soul of man. We need not have fear. We need not be anxious. There is no charge that can stick before God because you belong to Him. You belong to Him. It is God who justifies us. It is God who makes us right before Him so that the accuser cannot bring charges that stick. And this is the eternal security of God's elect. The second rhetorical question is that who will condemn? Who is it that condemns? That is, who is it that condemns them, the people of God, the elect of God? No one, no one condemns God's elect or brings judgment upon God's elect. Or the Apostle Paul writes, Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. There you have it again, for us. For us, God's elect. God sent his son in the likeness of human flesh to condemn sin in the flesh, to condemn our sin in his flesh, in his body, in his soul. Condemnation was placed upon him so that we know not condemnation. And therefore, no one can can condemn us because it's already been done in the Son for God's elect, God's people. But there is a condemnation that awaits Satan and those who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why the Apostle Paul writes in 8, chapter 1, or uh, chapter 1, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Condemnation has already been taken care of by the Son. You see, this is all about Jesus. (laughs) Your eternal security is all about Him and what He's done. No one could be against us. No one can bring charges against us and condemn us because the Son, who was raised for our justification and now intercedes for us, He is advocating for us even now before the Father. And He defends and claims us as His own. Bill, He's my son. He belongs to me. I claim Him. He's mine. Bring no charges against Him. They're dropped. No condemnation. Mary, no condemnation. She is mine. She belongs to me. Those of you who confess the name of Christ, that can be said of you. The Lord Jesus claiming you before the Father, He intercedes as your advocate. 
because we belong to him in body and soul, in life and in death. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, a lawyer, a counselor with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Because the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. The Father has given all authority to the Son and the Son does what the Father tells Him. And the Father always listens to the Son. And so the Son always has the Father's ear. You remember that? Always has the Father's attention. He has your attention. God is for us because Jesus is for us and has accomplished everything for our salvation and the eternal security of God's elect. You know the song, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name, my name is written on his hands. Can you sing that for yourself? My name is written on my advocate's hands. My name is written on his heart's. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. And then the song goes on, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there, the one who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my simple soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. No charges, no condemnation, because by faith we look up to the Son and we look to Him alone, the one who laid down His life and satisfied God's wrath and judgment for us. Because the Savior died, our soul is counted free. This is the eternal security of God's elect. This is God's grace and mercy towards those who love Him and been called according to His purpose. But we have another rhetorical question. At verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No one can separate you, Christian. No one can separate us from God's love in Christ. We are so inseparately bound to Him, bound to God's love, that nobody can tear it asunder. The word therefore separate, we hear at weddings, let no man tear asunder, let no man separate. We are so married, we are so married to Jesus by God's love, 
that no one can steal you from him or snatch you from him. God's love holds you fast to himself. No experiences in life, no physical harm due to your testimony of faith in Christ, no inflictions of the body, no cancer, no sickness, no illness, no depression, no mental diseases, no nothing can separate God's elect from his love in Christ. Nothing. Because we are more than conquerors through whom? Through ourselves? No, through Christ who loved us. Again, this is all about Jesus and Jesus providing that eternal security for us. And this is where our comfort in life and death lies. I'm going deeper than Lord's Day 1. I'm going to the root of it. The very foundation of it in which Lord's Day 1 builds upon. It is God's electing love that has called you and is sanctifying you. Conforming you to the image of His Son. And no one or nothing can separate you from that love. God's love unites us to Christ in faith and forever binds us to Him because He laid down His life for each one of His sheep and He will not lose one of them and no one will snatch Him out of His hand. God's love in Christ is the glue that binds us together to Him eternally. Verse, or chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says, but God demonstrated His own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For us. Again, for us. Can you say that for yourself, Christian? Can you come before God in good conscience, in faith, saying, no one can be against me. No one can bring charges against me. No one can condemn me. No one can separate me from your love, Lord God. Can you say that for yourself? And can you have confidence in saying that? Do you have the assurance of that in your life? Because that means the world to your faith. If you can say that, the Holy Spirit is certainly at work in your heart and life. We profess, I am not my own, but belong body and soul and life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has delivered me, set me free from the tyranny of the devil. Jesus owned you. You belong to Him. Why? Because God chose you before the foundations of the earth to be called, to be justified, to be sanctified, and to be glorified. He called you to be His people. And that is our security. And in 480, and I have no other comfort, listen to stanza one. This is based off of Lord's Day one, but listen to what they add. I have no other comfort which life and death endures than that I am my Savior's whose death my life secures. 
To you, my soul and body, O Jesus, I belong. You are my only master and my redeemer strong. Jesus secured our eternal destiny. Jesus secures the elect in God's love, to God's glory, and to the praise of his name. And so how do you respond? We respond with with praise, with adoration, with gratitude and thanksgiving. We respond in humility. Who are we, O Lord? Who are we? But by grace you saved us. We are but a worm, but you have made us strong in the beloved, in Christ, for we are more than conquerors in him. Remember that, friends. Remember who you are in Christ. Be humble. Let that humble you and me, especially as it relates to those who do not know him, who are hurting and don't know the Christ and who are lost in sin. That we are to be the people of God and to share this hope that we have in Christ, but we are to be humbled knowing that we have what we have, that we belong to him purely by God's grace and mercy and not by works of our own, lest man should boast in their own righteousness. Oh, far be it from us from boasting. May we boast only in the cross of Christ. May we boast in him and in him alone. Amen. Let's pray. O gracious God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that your people, the elect of God, the chosen of God, have been called to a holy calling, have been called by grace through faith to be a people of your prized possession. We have been called out of this world of sin We have been called out of darkness and into light. And this is all of your grace and mercy. And we come humbly before you, giving you thanks and praise and adoration because we now belong to Jesus. For there is no one else who can save like Jesus. There is no one else who who can bring hope and life and light. For Jesus has the words of eternal life. And we come fleeing to him. We come running to him. for hope and salvation. Lord God, I pray that if there is anyone here in this sanctuary who is lost in sin, who has not turned to Jesus in repentance, and who has not placed their faith in Him, we pray, O oh Lord, that Your Spirit would convict, Your Spirit would bring conversion, and that You would consecrate them to Yourself, and that they too may know what it means to belong to Jesus. We pray for those who are Christian by name, who who call Jesus by name, call themselves Christians by name, but are far from you. Oh Lord God, we pray that you would awaken them and convert them to the faith that Jesus would be their peace and their hope and their life and light. 
than mere ritualism. We not behold them, but you, O Lord, and a relationship with Christ would overwhelm them and be bestowed upon them so that they, O Lord, walk with Christ and know Him. And in knowing you, knowing you, Father, the Father of all mercies, we pray this in Jesus' precious name.